Life Audio. Hey, welcome to the Happy Rant Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friends, my partners in radio, Barnabas Piper and Ronald J. Martin. Uh, boys, we are, we are brimming with radio ideas this morning. Um, in that we have nothing to talk about because there's nothing fun or funny happening anymore. Everything that's happening is grim. Uh, nobody's kind of doing anything harmlessly stupid anymore, which is where we used to get our kind of wellspring of ideas. Pipe, maybe it's time, maybe we have to look to Christian publishing again um, for, for a wellspring of stupid ideas that come to life. Um, I, I don't know, man. Um, I, I feel like we're the, the wells kind of run dry in terms of topics. So we're going to take a break uh, because that minute of radio was already hard work. And then we're going to come back with a free form kind of jazz exploration of, uh, of radio this morning. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, boys, I got an Easter question. Um, Pipe, you mentioned that you've, you've, you live in Nashville, obviously, if people are new to the show, but you've not seen any like huge announcements about Easter extravaganzas, which used to be pretty common in the megachurch community. Uh, why, why do you think this is? Why are churches not kind of going big over the top, renting a helicopter, doing the, doing the huge Easter things anymore? I, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it, it probably because the church is, you know, perpetually seven to 10 years behind culture, uh, which means like culture was done with this stuff seven to 10 years ago and the church persisted. And now it's like, oh, this isn't this isn't really working. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it was what was it? Seven or eight years ago, maybe that that uh, Willow Creek up in Chicago did this sort of internal survey and realized that their methodology for like 25 years hadn't really made disciples the way they anticipated. So they're like, Oh, we need to change everything. And so it, it, it but kind it of feels them like rich. It, there was, there, there was a little bit of that. Yes. It, it did work in that way. It got cut their lead pastor right. fired, which is not a joking matter back to everything being grim. Right. And, uh, yeah, for sure. But, uh, it, I think, I think this is sort of the residual effect of that, of them realizing what we, I'm going to claim, I'm going to claim uh, prophethood on this one. What well, we poked fun at for years before they caught on. Let's put it that way. Right. No, that's that's good. I actually want to I want to ask a follow up question on something that you said. And Big R, you can you can weigh in on this first, but I want to hear you on it too, Pipe. So for as long as I've been 
like a sentient being as a Christian adult, there's always been this narrative of like, we are seven to 10 years behind the culture. And like, that's a, that's a punchline that's always rung true. And it's always been sort of a, a joke that I would, that I would lean into. But it seems to me that like, that might be a good thing now. And moreover, maybe we should aim to be like 70 years behind the culture. You know what I mean? Um, the culture hasn't had like an amazing run for the last decade. And <laughs> like in the, in the early 2000s, when I was like trying to be a cool young Christian guy, it was always like, oh, harumph, we're seven to 10 years behind the culture. We suck, you know, but now it's like, yeah, I wish, I wish we were 70 years behind the culture. Uh, any thoughts on that, Big R? Yeah, it's actually, it's, it's one of those like cliches that at mm -hmm. some point you kind of got to go, okay, what do we actually, when we say behind, what do we mean when mm -hmm. we say behind, right? right. Like behind mm -hmm. in what, you know, like what kind yeah. of trends, you know, there, what, what kind of trends are we, or do we still feel like we're stuck in like, you know, in, at this point, what would it be? I mean, everything moves so fast. I mean, how, what does it look like to be stuck in 2015? I don't know. You know, yeah. um, yeah. like That's if right. I walk into a church, my first thought isn't, oh, it's so 2015 in here. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like, I, I don't know. I mean, there's a bunch of different ways you can be stuck in the past, but yeah. I think it's almost like things go so fast now that they almost don't even change as much. So you can, yeah. and because we have categories for, well, no, we do things this way and and it may feel uncool, but it's actually working for us, which then makes it cool. Or mm -hmm. if we're talking about a stylistic thing, or, yeah. um, you know, or so are we talking about technology or um, are we talking about morality? So when we get into like morality and things of that nature. It's like, well, yeah, we we have to be on kind of like a not really a timeline at all with that. Right. right. We're like right. we're trying to stick to something that, you know, the Lord instituted, you know, at, in, at creation, you know. So right. um, it, it's just so funny. And it, it might even be and this is not this is not hitting on you, Pipe, but. I just wonder when we say it now, there was, there was a reason to say it back in the 70s and the 80s when church culture was, was, was needing to advance in some, maybe some like legitimate areas so that, it, so that it could actually be effective in the culture. But it feels like in a lot of ways, like in some of those things that the church or Christian culture would take hits on, like, I don't know, you don't really see that much anymore, do you? Yeah. I mean, again, we can break this down a thousand ways, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with both of you guys. I think the seven to 10 years behind applies to sort of imitation of cultural goods, you know, so uh -huh. marketing yeah, techniques yeah. or back back in the day of like when, when CCM and Christian music was was trying to create a product that was so distinct, it always lagged behind whatever the, the popular music was at yeah. the time. You know, it was always it was, it was imitating yeah. what was no longer popular and not doing so super well. I, but I think you're absolutely right that like it, it, things have shifted to the point now where it, uh, that that doesn't apply because there's also not really eras anymore. Like what you just said about yeah, yeah. what does it look like to be stuck yeah. in 2015? I'm like, that's a good point. Like 2015 was there and gone in seven seconds. I don't really remember a cultural distinctive of, of 2015. Um, yeah. But but I think there is still an element where it, it's the areas where the church, and I realize that is such a, that's not even a helpful phrase because churches are so distinctive and networks are so distinctive and whatever. But like, let's call it the, the sort of the, the broader general Christian world is still trying to imitate the marketplace. Maybe so. Maybe yeah. it's not culture as much as it is the, the marketplace. So the, the communication product, 
uh, delivery of stuff. It's that where I still think that that it might apply to say we lag behind. But then yeah. in, in some places you look at it and you're like, the church is actually, you know, often on kind of on the front end. You look at like, uh, uh, like what is it, Uversion, the 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 Bible app. They were they have mm-hmm. been on the front end of sort of using technology in the realm of of like spiritual delivery of goods for years. And so, mm-hmm. and, and they're still kind of there. So it's, but I think, I think that's where the seven to 10 years thing still maybe fits a little bit, although less so than yeah. ever. I think the culture piece that you said, Ted is exactly right. It's like, I think, I think that we've just, di- we've just, we ought to have diverged like culture. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that we should be really paying that much attention to how culture is doing things in terms of an imitative response, as much as a, like just a response. What is an appropriate yeah. response? Not an imitative one. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. And actually, this reminds me of something. And I want to take another break and then come back and ask it to you guys. We'll be right back. All right, boys. So part of this week for me has been, and this happens to me like two two to four times a year in my job. I'm a college professor if you're new to the program. But uh, I have this moment where I'm like, oh my gosh, I suck at this. I'm terrible at it. I don't understand my students. So then I go on like a a 48 hour bender of like reading about Gen Z. And I, I found this essay by this British philosopher and she's young, right? Um, but she wrote this piece about Gen Z and about a phenomenon called goblin mode. Mm. Are you guys familiar with goblin mode as a thing? I mean, who isn't? I mean, goblin. I mean, that's that's. I mean, that's that's really all. That's all me and Big M discussed pretty much. I said, "Would you want to talk about goblin mode before dinner or after dinner? <laughs> before dinner, after dinner, on our walk? You know, yeah, in on in the woods, which is not goblin mode. It, um, in the woods, which is I'm, the opposite. I'm, of, no, I've never heard of it. I've, I've, I've heard, heard the term, but I'm too. I've, yes, but also could not tell you what it is. It's just one of those like in passing. I would have to look it up on Urban Dictionary kinds of things. Yeah, I'm going to try to explain it in like 30 seconds, but this piece struck me as one of the more insightful things I've read all year Um, in terms of just trying to understand kind of the cultural moment that we're in vis-a-vis, I guess, how Gen Z views the world. And I sound like I'm 94 years old here, but but all the caveats. So in a nutshell, if you take influencer culture circa, I don't know, five to eight years ago where it's like if i'm an influencer i'm getting out of bed i'm making the best smoothie with the best ingredients and then i'm going to the gym and i'm doing the best workout and i'm flipping the heaviest tire and then i'm oiling my beard with the best oil and putting my arm around the hottest wife and doing all the influencer stuff that we've grown accustomed to making fun of and rightfully so goblin mode would stand as like the diametric opposite of that energy. So goblin mode is like, I'm filming myself lying, lying down in a patina of like grease and like chip dust. And I'm sort of performatively giving up. And this author connected that energy to like the lack of like the, the breakdown of platonic ideals. Right. So like she wasn't a Christian, but she was making this argument that like, you know, Plato had this this kind of menu of ideals 
that sort of applied to all cultures who were trying to be good cultures, right? Um, and Goblin Mode and kind of Gen Z is going so hard in the other direction because if you strive for something, you might fail. And if you fail, it's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. So the move is to not hurt. And that has become like the only aspirational thing in life. Like I just want to avoid pain. So if I lie in my apartment and uh, not do anything and, and not strive for things like love, right? So like romance as a concept would be essentially gone in this model, right? So it, it, the author called it like the blase Olympics. So you try to, you try to out blase the other person. <laughs> Which struck me as really depressing, it, but it also a thing me that as, I'm seeing. It strikes me as really similar to, or it's like it's like two point, it's like Gen X two point because you know what was exactly it exactly what I thought two ago? Yeah. We we were talking about like the glorification of squalor, uh, in in sort of the, mm-hmm. the Gen X uh, persona. This sounds like that, yeah. but but it, not just squalor, but like squalor of soul. Like we've extended this yeah, all like, the way to to my my internal life, not just the way I keep my crappy apartment, not just the the ratty mattress that I fall asleep on. Yeah, like emotional squalor. Yeah, I I agree, and it and it hit me that way too. With the caveat that like I don't know, I think of a movie like like Singles, Big R. Yeah, where. Yes, they were they were living in squalor, but they were all kind of striving for something. Like like they wanted to fall in love. And falling in love, finding the right person. Like the Steve Dunn character was trying to get his like super train project going in Seattle and Cliff Poncier was trying to have a famous band and like they all had like goals and aspirations and they were all sort of getting out of bed and doing things each day. Yeah, it was um, like uh no, that's a really great point. It was like it was like I'm cynical, but I hope I'm wrong and I'm going to still work towards sort of that hope that I might like break through what I'm afraid might happen, but I'm still hopeful enough that it, that it might not, so I'm going to push forward. And now it's like what you just described is like it's it's like it's like if cynicism it's like if cynicism has its final fulfillment which is like yes. the worst thing in the world is to have dashed hopes and disappointment. So if I just don't aspire to anything, then right. um, I never, I never have to have that be the reality of my life because there's nothing worse. There's nothing. Um, there's nothing I'm afraid of more than having my hopes uh, dashed. So let's just eliminate hope and yeah. let's, let's let, you know, but it, here's the thing that, that it's a relativistic relativistic uh, form of uh, it's a relativistic lifestyle no matter what because in their own way that is the most hopeful way of living for them so it, yes. it still is doing the exact same thing it's just curating it in such a way that feels more self-protective but in the end is ex- is exactly it's going to come out with the same results in the end yeah yeah no that's right and i think it's tied at some level and pipe i want to hear you on this to entertainment culture and so, I mean, in reading that article and hearing her description of it, it occurred to me that, like, this is what David Foster Wallace predicted in Infinite Jest that he published in 1996, right? It was 1,200 pages of what if the internet gets so good and weed gets so prevalent that no one leaves the house for any reason? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and sort of Wallace's premise was, 
you know, we, we all grew up in the 80s watching 80s television and movies and, and going, oh, no, I, I hope I hope Russia doesn't like hit the nuke button today, you know, and everybody's kind of <laughs> wringing hands about that. And, and Wallace's premise was it's not going to be a nuke button that destroys our culture. It will be ourselves, right? It will be the Internet's going to get so good. Porn's going to be so prevalent. Weed's going to be so prevalent that I, I may choose to never leave the house, right? If I can just kind of get high and pleasure myself all the long day. Why would I, why would I leave? Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of baked into goblin mode. I think no pun intended. Um, hang on. I've got a kitten on my lap. We just got a new kitten, big R. Wow. Yeah. Which is sort of, yeah, that's, 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 not, that's, 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 that's not goblin, that's not mode, goblin at all. mode. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the opposite <laughs> of goblin mode. Yeah. You, you have, you have 12 to 14 years of hope built in right there. So <laughs> I do, man. Yeah, I'm I'm enjoying it. It's a it's a do, fun ride eventually, for sure. but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anything to say on the last thing I just said, Pipe? Not the kitten thing, the thing before that. <laughs> oh, yes, that. No, I don't have anything to add on the kitten thing. Um I It it's one of these things that like at it, it strikes me as, oh, this is what it feels like to be an old person being devastated about the generation behind you cuz everything you just said yeah. sounds so depressing to me. Um, yeah, I mean, just profoundly depressing, which is why I understand yeah. people like utterly losing hope and losing their minds about the, you know, the kids these days. And then I remember yeah. that every generation makes the older generation, especially if you skip one, feel like the world has, has gone off the rails. We've completely lost yeah. the plot. Everything's going to hell in a handbasket. The younger generation doesn't even know what a handbasket is. What are we even doing with ourselves? Right. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and I think about it and I'm like, but yeah, it's, it's, it is as stupid as all of the other ways that younger generations have been stupid Yeah, and they will probably grow out of it or yeah. those who don't buy into it are going to stand out so much, which is exactly yeah. the case as was, you know, I remember being on the older end of millennials. So I was, you know, I'm, I'm like, you know, I was 30 and had been a professional for several years. And there's a lot of like 22 year olds, 23 year olds coming to the marketplace. Uh, I had two kids at that point. These are single unmarried people. And a bunch of 50 year olds are like millennials are ruining the workplace. They're just here for themselves. They switch jobs every six months. And and it turns out millennials are actually are, are actually OK. Like they they are fine professionally. They even know how to, you know, have families and things like that. And And so those who don't <laughs> become the stereotype actually do great. And I, I just like I yeah. so I think about Gen Z like this, and I'm like, okay, well, I have I have two Gen Zers. Uh, yeah. What if I raise them to think that aspirations are good, and that working hard is good, and yeah. that like overcoming disappointment is part of maturing and growing and getting stronger? I just feel like fine, go walk all over your your dumb generation mates who are being lazy and eating chips in their apartment, you know, while while you know pretending to be kittens or whatever, like. You, you go do something with your life and there's no competition. It isn't, it is a clear playing field all the way to the end zone for you. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. And it, it's a reminder that we do have some influence, right? Like, I mean, as, as parents and as church members and just people who care about other people, we, we do have influence. It, it's funny. You mention all that. Like it reminded me of something. So I, I have this this Bible commentator that I really like, James Montgomery Boyce, and he he wrote in the '90s. So and he and he was old in the '90s, and he wrote this book. He wrote an entire book on the first two verses of Romans 12, and it's a it's a little book. It's probably 125 pages, but I got it. 
because I didn't have it before. And I was reading the, um, the introduction to it. And this, this thing dropped in like 1993 and the boogeyman was television. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and Boyce loves to, <laughs> and, I, and I love Boyce. I, I love his commentary, but he, he loved to like ring hands about television, right? Television is going to ruin everything. And, uh, I'm like, that's oh, funny. Man. That's just funny. you if, wait, bub. If you only know, it if would. Only. If only television yeah. would ruin everything. Exactly. That sounds downright quaint and bucolic compared to what right. we're dealing sounds with. Sounds like a now. great way to ruin society, television. Exactly. I, I would choose that. But, um, yeah. To your too, point, is that like, I wonder, too, to your point, Big T, is like, mm-hmm. when we, okay, like even that article you read, I mean, are we always... Are we always running off of like the extremity of of any generation? You know, I mean, like to to Pipe's point as well. Like, you know, I mean, his his daughters are going to be a product of of many different things, right? Um, and the influence he has is going to be some of their, you know, as a dad is going to be, you know, one of their one of their, you know, kind of high level influences in their life and how yeah. how they're going to be shaped. So, you know, we can look at that and we can go, you know, all right, they're going to grow up and, you know, they are probably going to as much as they you look at them and you'll be able to say, oh, that was so Gen Z of you to say that or that's so Gen Z of you to have that particular kind of preference. But then when it gets down to the heart of it, like they're not living, you know, they're, they're not living on the extreme end of what you might like have to write a book about when you talk about the generation. Right. Because they sure. they have a combined they have a combination of cultures that are existing yeah. in them and, and, and kind of, you know, living out of them. So I wonder, I wonder if it's just, we always have to remember that like, you, you know, it's not fun to talk about anything that is too, uh, that has, that has, that has, that is too leveled out or it has too much stability. It's always yeah. going to be most fun and interesting to talk about the extreme version of anything. And there's always yeah. going to be an extreme version of, of, of anything that is like incredibly unhealthy and unhelpful and even downright dangerous at times. Right. So, but does, yeah. but does that encompass the whole thing? Probably not. You know, yeah, I don't write about that. And, and articles, I mean, all articles to sell an article, it sort of has to, it has to live in the extremes to right. some degree. Right. And, and, and yet like the, the sort of energy behind goblin mode or the lack of energy as it were, you know, it, it has implications for things like dating. Right. Or things like, yeah. Do I try in school? Um, and it, and it's not even trying in school, right? It's like caring, and you know, because we, I mean, we all had our our journeys with not trying in school, but uh, I'm having one right now. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> and and you know, school can either be this really joyful exercise and in intellectual engagement, or it can be a series of hoops to jump through. And I think Gen Z is actually really good at jumping through the hoops. Like they know what to do to get the A and to make their, you know, get their parents off their back or, or whatever. But like, I would rather have them care. And I can tell when they're caring and when they're not caring, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. but, 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 and I guess this is the point vis-a-vis relationships and that like caring Caring about anything comes with an inherent level of risk, right? Um, and it's yeah, why it's 100%. so tempting to be to be cynical, <laughs> you know. And I, to this day, I have to fight this. Well documented on this program, I, I do struggle with it myself. But um, but I hope I always land in a place of caring, if that makes sense. Well, T, let me ask you this: because since you're, I, I like because I like to roll your in, dude. Like, mm-hmm. tell tell the tell our listeners, clue me and pipe in, just from your perspective from, you know, the, the academic perspective, like mm-hmm. what is, 
what's one thing that continually kind of impresses you about Gen Z and you go, man, I wish I would have been, a little, I wish my gen would have been a little more like that. I like, I like how they do that. I like how they approach that, think through that. And then what's one thing where you go, man, I think they're missing this. I think it would be, yeah. I, I think they'd be helped if they adopted this or if they understood this better. Yeah. I mean, like, so just two different things on each side. What, what would that be from your perspective? That's a really good question. You know, I think on the positive side, and I say this to them often, and I'm, I'm hopefully okay at finding things to praise, you know, because there, there are a lot of them. I think they're amazing at like triaging large amounts of information mm. and discarding what they don't need and keeping what they do need. Mm. Um, so like I was, I was riding in the car for seven hours with a lot of my students a month or so ago and their ability to like, and you know, I gave them the aux cord and the phones and I was like, just, just keep the music coming, like share stuff with me that you like. And I sort of framed it as like, you're teaching me a class about music and their ability to like, look at the whole universe of music and keep a playlist populated for seven hours, like with no, with no slowing down, you know, and we, and we touched all the like genres. I, I was massively impressed by it. I was like, you guys know a lot. You're able to like, immediately discard what you don't like lean into what you do like mm. i don't know like in in the idea of doing that fills me with dread right i don't even <laughs> like i don't like listening to music anymore in that way you know i like you know going to my stack of you know nine cds or whatever and picking the one that i like because I, there's only nine to choose from you know um so so i would say they're really good at that something that they're less good at is I mean, quite frankly, they're terrified in relationship mm. because they're, they're so scared of hurting. Well, and, and I mean, this, this could be tied to some things like anxiety has been so demonized, right? Anxiety is like the, the, the devil in the room. You know, there's nothing worse in life than being anxious. And if a situation makes you anxious, you should immediately like, reject it out of hand and i mean falling in love is so fun but it is addled with a bit of anxiety until you know the other person is is in you know what i mean mm -hmm. um but but in gazing backward at it now nostalgically it was great right even the anxiety was great and i wouldn't trade it for the world um but i, I think they're really bad at that mm. they're just bad at being nervous you know and uh I, I just think they're they're <clears throat> nervous about so many things so much of the time. Yeah, that's good. What, that's insightful. I think it's like I, I when when you describe that sort of like you know goblin mode is the extreme of that. But I absolutely resonated with the mindset of so like when I was when I was in my teens and in my twenties especially, I had a like a hardwired into my psyche not to give a hundred percent to things because then if they did mm. not go perfectly, I had an excuse. You know, there was always yeah, the like, right. oh, I could have if if I could have done more, you know, kind of thing. And so there was always right. an ability to shrug off disappointment because I had not put my whole heart into something. And that was true spiritually. It was true academically. It was true athletically. I mean, it was true literally in every part of my life. And and so yeah. I get it. Like it is it is a self-protective measure just taken way too far. And I think the other thing, you know, you just brought up anxiety that sparked another thought, which is the. Anxiety has become kind of a monolithic thing 
And so mm-hmm. like something that makes your heart rate go up is now anxiety. And I'm like, what's the difference between anxiety and excitement? Mm, nothing. Right. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're watching uh if you're watching your favorite team play and and it's, you know, it's it's two minutes left. They got to drive the length of the field. Like your heart rate goes way up. Is that anxiety or is that excitement? The answer is yes. You know, if you're yeah. if you text yeah. a girl and you're waiting for her to text you back to see if she yes she wants to go get coffee, are you excited or anxious? The answer is yes. And and so right. like, it it's not to 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 avoid anxiety is to avoid anticipation, is to avoid excitement. Yeah. And and so it's that's I think where the 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 sort of the the monolith of anxiety has done a great disservice. But I also think that with maturity comes nuance, hopefully, you know, the internet says otherwise, mm-hmm. but also maybe it's just full of immature mm-hmm. people. Um, yeah. And so my, my guess is that at, at 20, it's going to be one thing. And at 28, they're going to go, Oh, it's, it's worth what I thought was anxiety and is actually anticipation, excitement, uh, kind of that, that possibility rather than just this yeah. could go this could go terribly wrong. Yeah, that's good. And, and one of the, one of the strange conversations I find myself having, you know, this time of year, especially as seniors are about to graduate, like I'll, I'll talk to these guys and I'm like, how are you doing? And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so anxious. And this is someone who like has a 4.0 GPA has crushed like everything that college put in front of him. Like, has parents with money, will get a job, will probably have a menu of jobs to choose from. You know what I mean? It's like the world is literally your oyster, bub. Like you're 22, you look as good as you're ever going to look. Like I would, I would like give an appendage to trade places with this person, you know, and, uh, and to have all of that in front of me still. But I, I think they've almost been conditioned to, uh, to, to sort of preload the anxiety, you know? And, and it's like, yes, there's uncertainty in that moment, but it's also, and I, I find myself more and more just saying, you know, you've been in college for four years. Like, this is, this is natural. Like, it, it's time to move on, you know? And I, I know that there's some things about moving on that are going to be hard, but, like, this is, this is as it should be. Like, is, it a, is it a defense mechanism is what I kind of wonder because we, yeah, we kind of, we... We, you know, we, we all do it in our own way, right? We like, you know, we say certain things as a way to try to regulate expectations in our lives. Mm-hmm. And um, so if, if I go around and there are some things in this world that generally create anxiety. And so to add to, you know, some of pipes, you know, definitions of it. So to me, anxiety is dread, right? That's how I equate anxiety. It's, it's something that's creating unrest and dread in me. And um, because it's a circumstance that either I don't enjoy or I'm so uncertain of the outcome that I'm, it, it's putting me in a whole, putting me in a different place I don't like to be in. But, but I wonder if it's a defense, you know, if these are defense mechanisms. In other words, like for like T, for that dude, if it's like a thing where it's like to even ask somebody, so, hey, man, you got to, the whole world, you're getting ready to step out into the world. You've crushed it the last four years. Um, you know, how are you feeling? What's in your mind? How, you know, what are you looking forward to, to, to not, to, to, you know, to not share any of, of the dreams and the goals and, mm-hmm. or even some of the fears, right. To yeah, just say, yeah. I feel really scared about it. It just uh-huh. means that it just means that, um, you're not going to compound 
you're not going to add any further expectations to his plate in terms of any answer he's right. going to give you that is is kind of leading into to what might happen in his future, right? So to just yeah. say, well, I'm just super scared about it all and I feel sick about it all and I don't know how it's all going to turn out, that causes your response to be, oh, well, um, let's talk about that. Or no, you're going to be okay. Or you know what I mean? So all, yeah. all he's looking for is reinforcement there and he's just doing everything yeah. he can to not have expectations be compounded to what he's already been feeling from maybe his parents, himself, uh, his friends. It's just, yeah. a, it feels defense mechanism in, in some way. I, and I, you know, I know that that's simplifying. I, I get that, but. No, it's, it's really insightful. And, and I think it, it speaks to what Pipe was saying earlier about never really trying. And, and trying is a, a very internal kind of moving target. And you kind of, I feel like I've done this on some book projects, right? Where it's like, if I really give my heart and soul to this, then I'll have expectations. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to have expectations, so I'm just going to kind of mail it in, you know? And that looks different for every person, and I don't think I've ever truly mailed it in. But you, you know where you, like, go in your heart where you're like, you know, I want to have high hopes for this, but it probably won't go anywhere. So I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of take my foot off the gas a little bit. And no one yeah, will even know, even risk taking even risk taking in the writing. You know how how honest do you get? How vulnerable yeah. do you get? How how much do you push yep. the pros beyond your comfort level? Like if you just stay in your lane, you're yep. like, well, I I kind of know where this is going to go. I can avoid the risk. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and we all do it. So that's not generational. That's just human. And yeah, I I, I guess you know part of doing this well is you know pushing yourself to not to not do that as often, you know, because spiritually, and I, and again, I struggle with this too. Like we're required to not, to not be hopeless, right? Um, like we, we need to be hopeful people if, if we truly know Christ and yeah, you yeah, can look what, around the world and say, there's not, not a lot to be hopeful about, but you know, Christ has overcome the world. So what, the, the math what is stands out. Yeah, on that on that front, the the sort of the as a Christian, what what do we see in this? What stands out to me is how this version of hopelessness uh or 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 self-protection, uh defense mechanism, it's kind of all wrapped up together is it it is not different than anything that came before it in the sense that they are all profoundly godless and self-centered. Because if yeah. if you stake your hopes on the Lord, I mean, that, that's when you have sort of the, the Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in terms of, you know, he will, his word will be a light unto my path kind of thing. Or, the, you know, man makes his plans, but the Lord establishes his steps, which is from somewhere else in Proverbs. I can't remember where. And uh, mm -hmm. it, where you, you are putting your hopes elsewhere, which then gives you the ability to kind of get outside yourself. So, like, for that, for that 4.0 student who comes from a, 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 a you know, well-to-do family and has jobs on jobs lined up and is anxious, that's just mm -hmm. self-centeredness. And, and, and I don't mean to pick on him because I feel that every day, yeah. you know, when yeah. making, making plans in church, trying to parent my kids. Like there's a sense of when I begin to feel like, ah, this is all going to go terrible. What I'm doing is just looking at myself and realizing I'm at the end of my capacity to control anything. And it, this yeah, isn't different. Cool. And so like doing nothing is the easiest way to control everything in a sense. Yeah. But it's also yeah. sort of fid fiddling while Rome burns in a sense, because like you're, you're also not doing anything <laughs> to, to contribute or benefit or, or, or make progress or, you know, bring peace to the world around you.
Well, I wonder too, like, just like, you know, there's something about like spiritual, like there's something in spiritual maturity. I think that is, we are, we have to constantly be like redefining what failure actually is to us, you know, kind of like almost like the reorganization of failure in our minds. Like what, what does that actually mean? In other words, like if, if, you know, if we're, if, if we're looking at all the different categories of our life, like Pipe just pointed out, whether it's, you know, job or family, raising kids, you know, whatever it is, it's um, like, what does failure actually mean? And like to, to have a really like, to have it like a, a really kind of a, for lack of a better way to put it, like a hopeful slash biblical definition of failure. Like, like when I say, when I'm afraid of failing at something, like instead of just saying that in a lazy way, and, and not really like unpacking internally what that means. Um, I think it's really helpful to do that. And to and if you need to talk through that with somebody, say, okay, let's talk about what failure would mean in this area of my life or this project, for example. Or like, hey, we're talking about a, a book project. You know, like what what do we what do we mean when we say failure? Because that's going to be different for different people. And to have like yeah. a really like running a, like a healthy structure, like a categorical structure and definition for what that looks like it actually kind of alleviates anxiety in some ways because you go, I'm not really, I don't even know what I'm worried about after I've worked out what, what the different options are for what could right. potentially happen. That what pipes just said is actually completely out of my control. Like there's maybe one part of this that's under my control, the rest of it, not in my control at all. Yeah. And what I'm afraid of are all the things that are out of my control that internally I'm trying to control, which is ridiculous because that's just called magic, you know, and it doesn't yeah. work. And, um, but I mean, I, I don't think we grapple or we unpack failure enough and what that actually means in our lives. I think that's really very true. Um, and even like, you know, to take it back to college students, like relationships or, you know, so everybody's kind of performatively doing goblin mode, like blase, blase, I don't care, but you know, I, I shared the article with my students the other morning. Oh, you they did? Were like, yeah, well, yeah. And they, they thought it was fascinating. And they were like, yes, we, we do this. But then they were like, but then we shut off the camera and we, we go back to our dorms and we cry. We, we cry anyway, you know? So it's like <laughs> there, there's this veneer of blasé that, that, I mean, everybody, to quote REM, like everybody still hurts, right? So like, and pe people are just doing it um, in, in private. I, I mean, dude, because... goblin mode, it takes a lot of effort. It does. It, it takes it's a like lot anything. of effort to achieve goblin mode. Yeah, it, it takes a lot of effort to make no effort, you know? And I mean, if, 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 and we know this from decades of experience ourselves. If you're doing anything as a persona and you're trying to look a certain way, it takes effort, right? And so even if that thing is goblin mode, it it's still, yeah. There's, My brother- a lot of a lot you gotta do there, yeah. Used to, um, so when you come from the music industry, like what everybody's trying to do is make a living at music. That's like the eternal right. dream. And like, you know, four people yeah. get to do that, right? Bono gets to do that and everybody else is yeah. suffering, right? Um, I'm being really exaggerating there, but like, so you, when you get, when you're kind of at Lord, a, sort of like a D or a C level, like in, in the music industry, you know, it, depending mm -hmm. on your lifestyle, you know, you could potentially make a living, but the yeah. money just kind of comes trailing in, in different pockets. And you're, you're, yeah. so my brother would always say, because we have, we have a lot of friends and he would say, he would always say to them, because it always kind of offended him. He would say, dude, 
I've never met anybody working harder not to work. Um, mm. And it would just be like these guys that were just literally like working, just literally like working sundown, sunup to sundown to try to do the thing they wanted because they didn't want to do a nine to five job. And they were actually yeah. working like 86 times as long hours and as hard <laughs> yeah. and with all the yeah. stress because there wasn't a, just a regular paycheck coming in to do the thing they wanted to do. You know what I yeah. mean? And it just, in, I don't know, for my brother in particular, it just was always fascinating to him, that yeah. aspect of it. Cause he goes, he goes, dude, you're working harder than anybody I know for a guy that doesn't want to work. You know? Yes, exactly. And, and, and that was like the dream. And I, and I remember having that kind of internal, uh, tension while trying to be a writer right like and and i remember saying things to kk like this checks the box of we don't have a nine to five right we do have we have complete freedom like if i want to throw you and tristan in the car and drive to north carolina to interview some boxer tomorrow we can do it and and there is a certain amount of fun and joy in that but then yeah you realize i'm beating my brains out here to barely make it and yeah, it's just part of that calculus of like, mm -hmm. what makes a good life, right? So like, what do I want? And and there are days where I still really miss that, right? Like going into the office to grade papers or go to faculty meetings or whatever. I'm like, ah, I wish I was free again, you know? But yeah, yeah. but then I think through all the all the good that comes with it. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's just, this is all part and part. Yeah, you're giving, you're giving up something to gain something else. I mean, it's you're just giving up something to gain something else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and there, there's no... And and I think the point that your brother was trying to make, and it's it's so good by him, like you're not going to game the system, right? Like you're gonna be getting something and giving something else up. And you know, nobody nobody games it. And uh and yeah, ge yeah, Genesis just, three Genesis three remains true, uh, regardless of if right. you're in the, the creative endeavors or the, the blue collar sector. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Or the podcast world, boys, like we are. Well, um, that's a totally different slaving, thing. We've obviously slaving achieved, away. We've achieved we've, everything. We, we work an hour a week, guys. Nobody knows that. We don't got to. Yeah, yeah, I know. And, and gosh dang, it's lucrative. You know? I mean, we've, we've really got no high level with this. And uh, sometimes I just think about it and I, I shake my head and I wonder yeah, how we, we got here. We just can't be so, you know, glib about it because we know nobody else lives like this. So I know. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> No, nobody else is getting $150 twice a year and, and I, wonder how, you know what, how I am think, I going to spend this? I mean, I think really. what you mean, yeah. I think what you mean, Ronnie, is we wouldn't wish this on anybody else. Not just that nobody else <laughs> lives like this. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a level of, of decadence and celebrity uh, that not a lot of people can handle, you know, man, oh man. Um, man it's oh just, man. A, it's a particular burden boys that we carry around and, and far be it from us to expect anybody to understand but boys we've we've done 41 minutes of workmanlike radio long time. we thought we thought we had nothing to talk about so um shout out to you guys for uh making it work and um yeah i guess i guess that's it we've done what we always do on this program and until next time We want to take a moment to thank the team at Life Audio for partnering with us on this podcast. Be sure to go to lifeaudio.com and take a look at the other podcasts in their network. 
They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey there, it's Nicole Eunice from the How to Study the Bible podcast, and I'd love to invite you to join us as we weekly discover a passage of God's Word together. From beginning to end, from principles to practicals, we are here to make sure that God's Word is powerful and relevant to your life. If that sounds like something you're looking for, I would love to invite you to subscribe. You can go to lifeaudio.com and search How to Study the Bible, and we'll see you there.